So we're continuing our series today. You deserve more. Our Advent series, and we're today we're hitting our first week of Advent. Last week we we opened it up by giving you an idea, this concept. Remember the concept was scarcity mentality. You know, sometimes because of scarcity mentality, it affects the kind of relationship and the kind of experience we have with God. When we have a scarcity mentality, we tend to hold on to things a lot more tighter and it becomes increasingly difficult in those moments to trust God and to hold to God. Picture it like this. So think of you like hanging off a cliff, right? And then all you're holding on to is a vine that's on the edge of the cliff. And that's, that's your survival. That's your one line that you know you can't let go of. Because if you do, you have nothing. Now imagine at the same time as you're holding on to that with that white grip that God comes along and he offers his hand to you and says, take my hand. It's more secure. I'll bring you out of this. It's that kind of tension that we have with scarcity mentality. But God, if I let go of this, you know, all these bad things can happen or I can fall. And God's saying, that's why I want you to hold my hand instead. So it's the, it's the shift from releasing our grip and our fears on the thing that we feel like, but I have so little of this. And if I lose this, I lose everything. Shifting from that to taking the risk to letting go and grabbing onto God instead. You see, I'm praying that as we go through this Advent series together, you deserve more. Every week that goes by, my prayer is that we loosen our grip just a little bit more on that vine or the one thing that we're holding onto that may be keeping us from really experiencing God's hand, God's power, God's blessing, God's comfort, God's presence in that area of need in our life that we release and we hold to God instead. During Advent, we will focus on Psalm chapter 23, a psalm that many of us heard, many of us have read many times over. And I want to explore this psalm in depth every week and my hope is that whatever our most urgent fears may be whatever scarcity grip that we have that we're able to let go and to hold to God instead so I invite you right now let's read Psalm chapter 23 verses 1 to 6 together so Psalm 23 verses 1 through 6 I'll be reading it for us I'll be reading from the NIV and I invite you to follow along the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. And it's a word we are very familiar with. And I pray, may you use that 
familiarity that we have to your word, to this particular scripture, and help us to dig in to see, Father Lord, it's not just comforting words. There's so much depth in it, Father Lord, and I pray as we uncover it together, May we see the reality, the power. May we see the practice that we're invited into. May we see, Father Lord, how we can experience this in very real, in very present ways in our life. Father, bless us. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart that perceives, a mind that perceives. I pray, Father Lord, that you give us the courage to trust you, and to walk with you from what we learn from your word. So I thank you, Father. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be focusing on the first uh, two verses of this psalm. It begins by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. In other versions, you probably heard, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want If you hear this, it's an amazing statement that David is making because God is the one who leads me. Because God is the one I seek first in all of my priorities. Because God is my shepherd. He says this, I don't have any wants. Because God is my shepherd, he fulfills me. So I realize there's nothing that I lack. See, right off the bat, David points out indirectly an issue all of us we face in this world. And it's this, we all have certain needs and we all have certain wants. And those needs or wants deeply affects the quality of our living. It deeply affects how we feel about ourselves. See, David identifies that we all suffer from some sort of poverty. We have some sort of poverty that's in our soul. You know, when I use that word poverty, I'm sure a lot of us, our mind usually goes right away to money, right? And whenever we hear the word poverty, we assume it's always connected with money. But poverty affects so much more than simply money. Check out this definition of poverty. One person writes, poverty is hunger. Poverty is a lack of shelter. Poverty is being sick and not being able to see a doctor. Poverty is not having access to school and not knowing how to read. Poverty is not having a job. It's fear for the future, living one day at a time. Poverty is losing a child to illness. Poverty is powerlessness, lack of representation, and freedom. See, brothers and sisters, poverty is any area of life, whether spiritual, mental, social, financial, physical, environmental, in which people experience hopelessness. See, poverty arises from a deep need that's in each and every one of us, that longs to be filled. But for for whatever reason, that resource or whatever we think that can fill it, it seems out of reach for us. That's why there's a sense of poverty. 
For those who live in developing countries and they don't have access to the, to the resources that we have, this is why money becomes a huge factor is that the economic drive or the things that money can provide, it seems out of reach. It's a deep need, but that seems out of reach for them. For some of us, we have certain mental needs. We have certain physical needs. We have certain relational needs. We have certain financial needs. And for all of those areas, whatever the solution may be, it seems it's out of reach for us. In fact, poverty was such a big issue that we even see Jesus addressing the poverty in people's lives in the New Testament. Do you guys remember Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes from verses 1 through 5 in that passage? The Beatitudes really is an identification. Jesus saying to each and every one of the crowds that were there, over 5,000 that were there to listen to his message, What he's saying to each and every one of them is, I see you, and I see the poverty in your spirit. Look what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That something has happened in our life that we feel like the very spirit that brings life to us has been sucked out. Those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, those who lack joy, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, there's a poverty of righteousness. Those who are meek, that poverty of power. Those who are merciful, poverty of experiencing mercy. Those who are pure in heart in a world where people are scheming all the time. And those who are persecuted for God. You see, all of these people, as they were listening to the Sermon on the Mount, the very first words that Jesus expresses to all the people that are gathered is he says, I see you, and I see that you have longings, that you have need, and you feel poor in your soul in that particular area. You see, these people were trying to live with the tension of believing in God's existence. They all were there because they believed in God. They wanted to believe in his significance, in his power, that he does make a difference. But while their lived experiences, while their present realities seem to state otherwise. Isn't that the same kind of tension that we walk through every day as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe in the reality of God's existence. We believe that he's supposed to make a difference in our life. But here's the thing, when that poverty of spirit, when that one area of poverty in our life begins to come out and makes us feel so empty and we're looking for hope, we're reaching out for a resource that never feels like it's filling it. We feel this tension between I believe in God and I believe everything that he says, but my present reality is that That area is not being filled. See, we see a similar tension in this psalm that comes before. So it's relieving to know sometimes, you know, whenever we read the Bible, we see pithy sayings. We see things that seem so pious, and we automatically assume, of course, for the biblical writers, they got to experience God more powerfully than we did, or God seemed more present in their life than he seems to be today. And we have that assumption. But we see, no, the Old Testament and New Testament people who followed God, 
they experience the same kind of poverty that we have. They experience the same types of tension, perhaps even more so than what we've experienced. Look at the psalm right before Psalm 23. Look at Psalm 22. Look how David begins this psalm. It's not pious. It's not this grand statement, Lord is my shepherd. Look what he says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out day by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Can you hear that restlessness in David? It isn't like David's wishing or hoping or saying, I hope God shows up. No, David's doing something about it. David's praying by day. He is engaging God by night, seeking God's presence. But he's not experiencing him in any way. See, the poverty in David's heart is abandonment. He kind of feels, remember, in, at the beginning of his Christian life, he felt like, wow, God's powerful. God's making such a big difference in my life. And then the very first act that David does is defeating Goliath. We see that. And we see God's working powerfully in David's life. And David experienced that too. Perhaps some of us, we've experienced that in our youth days or at some distant past memory that we have of, I remember God working powerfully in my life. But something happened where slowly it feels like God's presence, His power began to fade out of our life. David began to increase in the ranks from being a general of King Saul's army to becoming king himself of all of Israel. And now that he became king and needing God more in his life, look what happens. Everything in his life now is falling apart. Everyone is leaving him or betraying him. Not only that, all of his enemies are pursuing him. And God seems absent. God seems disinterested in actually helping David. Look at the, what kind of poverty this brought to his physical being. In fact, this longing that he had. God, you've been in my life in the past. I've seen you work wonders, but today the need that I have is I just need to know, do you even hear me? Do you even know what I'm going through? David's feeling that and he has that anguish. And look at the effects this has on his body. If you read a little bit further in Psalm 22, verse 14 to 18, look what David describes. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. It's an intense description that David is giving to God saying, because you feel so absent, because I feel like you don't care what's going on in my life and I feel 
totally abandoned. I have this poverty of presence, of your presence in my life. Look what he says. Because I don't feel you near me, he says, my bones feel so dry and out of joint. But when we look at the first word, so how does he move from there? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And saying my bones feel so dry and I feel like a shell of nothing. How does he move from that psalm to what we see today in Psalm chapter 23 where he begins, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you see the movement? The very first words of Psalm 22 is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very first words of the very next psalm, Psalm 23, is the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You know, a lot of us, we can relate with David's feeling because we are using every reserve strength that we have to just hold ourselves together as we continue to feel hopeless in our particular area of poverty. And like David, in that area of poverty, we cry out to God and say, God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? I'm trying to do my best in my finances or following you or the relationships that I have or my mental health or my physical health, my kids, my work, my future, my failures. But why have you forsaken me? Why do you feel so absent? Why is this deepest poverty in my spirit not being met? See, now that we first acknowledged the poverty that's in our hearts, the poverty that other people experience, the poverty that followers of Jesus Christ are experiencing as well, the question that we have as we deal with this frustration is, so how do I address it? How did David address it so he could move from why have you forsaken me to coming to this realization, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, I'm going to ask Pastor Jen at this time to share with you on screen an overview of the psalm and displayed in a way that it was meant to be sight read. So we read the psalm, and when we read it, we don't see all the literary devices that the author is applying to help us move through it. The way that the psalm was created, it's called, the literary device is called a chiastic structure. What it is, is it begins with a point A, and then it continually moves on to the climax or the center, right, which is the turning point. And then after the turning point, it revisits all the previous points, but we see a shift in thinking that happens through it. So if you look at this psalm, we see the chiastic structure that begins with the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it, it ends with surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We see a turning point that happens in the middle where we see in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's the turning point. And then you see from the markings that are on screen, you see how the mindset is shifted and readdressed after that turning point. So let me point out one thing to you guys from this passage that I'm sure all of us, we never grasp at our first reading. But there's an important shift that happens after the turning point. Notice 
when he begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Look at verse 2 and 3. He uses, he settles me down. He leads me beside. He brings me back. He leads me in paths. Do you guys catch that? David, in this first part of this chiaxis structure of the psalm, is he's mentioning God in the third person. It's he. That's the one that does it. And this is, by mentioning God in the third person, he's saying, this is what I believe. These are the principles that I hold. I know this to be true of God, but it's just a knowing. It's just content that he has. I know that's who God claims himself to be. But look at the turning point. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The turning point here is this, walking through that darkness and continually holding to God. And when David does that, he walks through his darkness and we see that happening in chapter in, in Psalm chapter 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I feel like I've been abandoned. You have rejected me. He walks through that darkest valley in his life, but he's still holding to God. That's why we see uh, David so disappointed because he knows God is his answer. But the thing is this, when we come out of that dark valley, look what happens to the rest of the psalm underneath. Suddenly, we see a shift in the person that is given. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table. You anoint. Do you guys see the shift from the third person in the beginning to now a more intimate second person, you? See, this is the shift that is happening after that turning point. We see that what David is saying is, for some reason, the doorway or the entranceway to experiencing God more deeply when we are experiencing poverty in our life is actually to walk through that darkest valley without giving up. Walk through that darkest valley by holding to God, shifting our grip from that scarcity mentality to the vine that we're holding onto, to grabbing onto God. That means this. It means that we don't take a break from God when we are in our darkest valley and saying, hey, I got to take care of all these other things first. Then I have a little bit more room to walk with God and to deal with all my frustration. We don't say, hey, I need a break from God because obviously he's not speaking and it's unhealthy for me to keep reaching out to him in this way. So I'm going to try to find it at some other place. And then when I feel better, then I'll come back. No. David says, if you continue in this way, you will not experience the more intimate shift from third person to second person. You will not experience this he, and I know this about God too. I know this. I've experienced it in my own life. Thanks for sharing the, um, uh, the picture, Pastor Jen. See, brothers and sisters, we need to get this. Perhaps the reason why some of us we struggle and we continue to struggle in our area of poverty is because as soon as it hits and we begin that walk in that darkest valley, God's the first person we let go of. We become more gripped on our scarcity mentality. And we try to cover everything else. We hold on to anything else. 
And then when we feel better or we feel like we're in a better position, we come back to church. We come back to God. We come back to holding to Him. But that's not. We're still experiencing God at that point in the third person. We're still having this, I know that to be true about God, but I've never experienced it for myself. So how do we get there? How do we start? Well, this psalm, it begins us on that journey. Look at what David says. How did David shift from my God, my God, why have you forsaken me to the Lord is my shepherd? I lack nothing, even though he was, right? He was still going through the same things. And despite the same things he's experiencing, his perspective begins to shift. So what were the steps? What were some of the insights that we can gain from David's experience? Well, look at what he says. He says, this is what I experienced about God being my shepherd and how he fills my poverty or my needs to the point where I can declare today, even when I'm experiencing my darkest valley, that I lack nothing. The first thing that he mentioned is this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He says, because God is my shepherd, I'll follow him. And as I follow God, David says, despite all the stress that was in my life, and when I shifted my grip from holding that one, one vine to holding onto God, the very first thing that God led me into was not more work, was not be more faithful. What God led me to, my shepherd led me to was rest. It's an amazing statement. With all the chaos happening and all the things that need to be changed and all the strength that we need to put to maintain it. For David, it was fighting his enemies. For David, it was trying to figure out who are the ones that are betraying him. It's David wrestling with all of his own mental and emotional health as, as he feels hurt by so many people around him. And for David, it's how do I reclaim my throne? For David, all of this is happening. And the very first thing that God leads David towards is rest. See, the first thing that Shepherd addresses to those feeling poverty in a certain area of our life is rest. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. See, God our Shepherd knows that poverty in a certain area of our lives, it creates exhaustion. It is exhaustion of the body exhaustion of the mind, exhaustion of the spirit. When we are exhausted, we are not able to think properly. We are not able to make discerning decisions. Our shepherd recognized that people need rest. It may seem counterintuitive, but sometimes when there are great battles ahead and things that we do need to fight, God's not saying ignore those battles. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying you need to rest so that we can face those battles together when you are in a healthier mindset. God is not dismissing the battle. God is not saying you don't need to fight the battle. He's saying you do need to fight it, and it is a reality. But your mind and your heart and your spirit are in no condition to go out right now. What God does instead is he begins to place us in green pasture. In, in green pastures, it simply means there are things that we can feed on, right? 
That's green pastures, not bad things where we're feeding on bad things and just scraping by. He says he places us in a place where we can be fed. We can be nurtured. We can be, uh, we can be uh, nourished. But that doesn't mean in green pastures there's a lack of threat that is in our midst. Because our enemies know where the green pastures are. Enemies are there as well. But the shepherd's saying, I'll be here so that you can feed on this, but I'll protect you as you are resting and as you are feeding. See, brothers and sisters, for us, green pastures, one of the areas that it'd be is some of you guys are experiencing through your life groups. Some of you guys are experiencing through church. These need to be the place where your soul is nourished by God's presence, by God's word, and by a community that seeks God together. Is it perfect? No. There's going to be other threats that are in that place, but that's the place where we need to rest, not in other places where he says there's nothing that is there that will feed you as much as my word. Here's the second thing. The second step he leads us is he says, he leads me beside quiet waters, he restores my soul. See, as we're in this place where we're resting and he brings us into the place, the very first thing that he says is he leads me through and leads me to still waters, quiet waters. I didn't know, about, I didn't know this, but as I was researching this passage a little bit, uh, what I came across were uh, Middle Eastern uh, shepherds. So they still exist today. There's many of them. And one of the interesting facts that these shepherds revealed about sheep is that, you know, running waters. So if we come upon a stream and the waters are actually running and making a little bit of noise as it runs, sheep will refuse to actually drink from that water. And the reason why, no matter how thirsty they are, they're so scared of the noise or they're so scared that it's actually moving, right, that they would rather die right, and die of thirst and actually drink from flowing water. This is why David says, he brings me to quiet waters. Why is that significant for us? I think it's significant because look what he says. When he brings us to these quiet waters, the assumption is we're drinking from it. And the result of that drinking, he says, is he says, he refreshes my soul. So when we read the NIV, it says he refreshes my soul. But when you actually read the Hebrew word that is written in there, it's not the sense of refreshing in the sense of, you know, my soul. It's there just to cool it off. There's actually a different connotation that's in, that leads to that refreshing. That's why it's translated that way. But we're missed the most important part of the connotation of the Hebrew word. It's actually he restore, that restores my soul. It actually comes from the word repentance. So as we are drinking from the still water, it causes us to repent. And that repentance, as we repent and as we let go of the things that we need to repent of, that is what refreshes our soul. 
See, brothers and sisters, waters in the Bible often carries with it the symbol of death. And rather than death being this kind of chaotic like stream that keeps flowing and it seems more scarier and, and something that's harder for us to let go, what God says is, I will gently lead you to quiet waters. And in these quiet waters, I want you to put to death your fears. And whatever scarcity mentality that you have, but at times, repentance, it scares us. It, it makes us fear. It makes us feel like, no, I don't want to admit I'm doing anything wrong. Or no, I don't want to lose these kind of things. And I want to keep holding on to it. Repentance needs to come first. And God says, I'll lead you to a place, a quiet place, green pastures, and still waters. So it doesn't feel as threatening. Because the only way for us to become refreshed in those seasons where we're walking through the darkest valley is repentance. Brothers and sisters, what area of our life requires repentance? In our desperation and in our frustration, there's a lot of things in our life that we're holding on to that have become our idols. And we refuse to acknowledge it as, as such. For some of us, we're holding on to our pride, our own way of life. I want to hold to this value. And it's keeping us from experiencing God fulfilling the poverty that's in our soul. See, what David is mentioning that led him from, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me towards the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. David mentions his first problem was repentance. He refused to repent. He refused to see the things in his own spirit, in his own life values that he was living that were contrary to what God wanted to do in and through his life. He says, finally, when I came to this place and God rested me, and with that rest, I had a proper perspective uh, to better discern, to trust God better, and in that kind of space, he led me to quiet waters, a place where I can repent, a place where I don't feel forced, I don't feel like rejected, I don't feel pressed down by God, but it's a free place where I finally realize, man, this is what's keeping me from being refreshed and finally laying it down. And David says, as soon as I laid it down, as soon as I repented, God refreshed my soul. Brothers and sisters, whatever poverty is in our lives and whatever we're feeling frustrated with, I pray that today's passage may give us the first two steps to address them in the way that the shepherd leads us. First is identifying who's leading your life right now. Is it the shepherd or is it something or someone else? The second is this, is our shepherd, as our shepherd begins to address our poverty by providing rest that leads to repentance, are we willing to repent? Are we willing to let go? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for blessing us with this time. 
And thank you, Father, for this moment that we've had together. I pray, Father, that you would help each one of us to loosen our grip on the things that are, we're holding on to because of our scarcity mentality, to transfer that grip to you. And as we do, I pray that we would follow you and we'd see that you are good by giving us rest, placing us in places and leading us to places where we can be restored and refreshed. And at the same time, Father, it brings us to a place, Lord, where we can repent and we realize that it's been our own arrogance, our own pride, our own stubbornness that have locked us in a place where we've been experiencing poverty. So I thank you, Father. We commit all these things to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.